It's time for This Week in the Big East, a comprehensive look at the teams, coaches, players, and the storied tradition of the Big East Conference. Here are your hosts, longtime conference play-by-play announcer John Rook and Big East author and sports writer Kevin McNamara. Welcome to week five of This Week in the Big East. It's our weekly look at the teams, the coaches, the players, and the stories from the schools comprising the Big East Conference. I'm John Rook with Providence Journal beat writer, Basketball Times contributor, and author Kevin McNamara. And you know, this is one of those weeks where the oblong ball kind of gets in the way of ripping the nets. Kevin is on assignment at Super Bowl 52 in Minneapolis. So, Kev, we're going to give you a brief reprieve from the National Football League for a moment. And let's talk some college hoops for a bit. What do you say? Uh, I'll sign up for that right away. I've had enough Tom Brady, and the game hasn't even happened yet. (laughs) (laughs) Although, don't don't tell fans in New England that. No, no, no. We'll keep that one a secret. All right. So as we turn the corner now on Big East play, there has been a rather peculiar occurrence in some league games. Now, often a lack of closely contested, down-to-the-end battles. More often than not, some Big East games are actually finishing with a relatively comfortable margin of victory for the winning team. So, Kev, I, I guess i got to know, are there any thoughts that you have as to why some of this might be happening? Well, I think at this stage of the game, uh, John, a couple injuries can really set a team back. Uh, there's been a couple you know, just odd performances uh, by some of the better players in the league where they just didn't show up and, and you know clip along at their usual rate. And, and that can get a team because... I think at this at this time, you know, just going into February, teams become, they can see March. It's time to get on a hot streak and finish the regular season the way you want to. Sure. Well, one major milestone of the conference also this week, I know you're aware of, it saw Seton Hall's Angel Delgado become the Big East all-time rebounding leader in conference games, surpassing a 30-plus year record held by former Syracuse star Derek Coleman. And we'll have some more on that coming up a little bit later in the program. So going into play this week, the home record, for the top six teams in the league standings was a strong 22-3. and three. So maybe even defending the home court advantage. There's several tough places to play in the Big East. It could have a lot to do with some of what we were just talking about as well. Now, the nation's number one team is 7-1 and one in league play at midweek. 20-1 and one overall. Xavier remains in sole possession of second place, but the Musketeers had a tight one on the road Tuesday night at St. John's Carneseca Arena. X ended up scoring six of the last seven points over the last two minutes of the game to hold off the Red Storm, 73-68. to Biggie shoot-arounds John Fanta caught up with Xavier coach Chris Mack after the game. How'd you pull this one out? Made a couple plays down the stretch. They missed a few free throws. You know, I thought uh, our guys didn't hang their head, and we had plenty of moments to do that. Um, you know, Karim Canner... Um, both on the goaltending call and then the drive down the lane, um, just some big-time plays. And, uh, you know, down the stretch, they weren't able to really execute and get a great shot off. Um, you know, Big East war here on the road. I think about the play of your team. You have multiple big-game playmakers down the stretch. One of those guys is Quinton Gooden. How exactly has he progressed for you? Well, I think both he and Paul uh, were tremendous tonight. I think both of them are playing their best basketball of the year. Uh, against St. John's, you have to be able to drive their pressure, get in the lane, and then be strong with the ball because um, second and third defenders are coming to, to rake your ball and go the other way. And it didn't happen to our point guards tonight. Uh, Quentin's shooting the ball a lot better, so is Paul, and their defense has been tremendous. Um, so, again, those, those guys are growing up and um, really helping our team. Even in year five since reconfiguration of the Big East and your fifth year in this conference, does it ever get old nights like this? It gets old. It gets nerve-wracking. Um, but uh, you, you always know you're, you're going to be up for a challenge, whether you're in your own building or whether you're on the road. And, uh, you know, our guys knew that, especially the older players. You know, we've been here before. 
Uh, it's never easy, and uh, just very fortunate to come out with the win. Is that conference race on your mind? Um, you know, we uh, we want to win the league. Um, you know, I, I think everybody's sort of giving it to Villanova, and hey, rightfully so. Um, they, they've been uh, handing everybody their head over the last four or five years, uh, but we want to do our part to you know at least try to um, you know get to that point where we're challenging for it. And uh, nights like tonight help. Certainly doing that, Coach. Congrats. Thanks, John. Creighton is a game back at seven and three with Seton Hall a half game behind of the top three at six and three. Butler is six and four. Providence is five and four. There's a log jam in the middle, huh? Two and a half games separate first from sixth, and only a game keeps first place and third place apart in the league standing. Six Big East teams find themselves in the nation's top 35 in this week's RPI. Seven are in the top 50. Seven teams are also ranked among the top 40 nationally in overall strength of schedule. And Villanova remains number two in the RPI, number one in the media polls for a seventh week this season. The Wildcats have been the national top team for 17 total weeks over the past three seasons. So, Kevin, now that we're kind of into February, March Madness is almost upon us. Best guess is here by you. Since we still have a lot of play left ahead of us, what kind of shape are Big East contenders in when it comes to March considerations? Well, I think five teams are, are kind of uh, cut above everybody else. Obviously, Villanova, Xavier, and Seton Hall are, are in a really good position. I, I think Creighton and Butler are also looking good. So th- those five, I think, can I wouldn't say feel comfortable. You still still have to uh, get things some things done down the stretch, especially Creighton and Butler. Providence and Marquette, however, they need to do some work. And John, I thought the stat that you gave uh, just a bit ago with teams being twenty-two and three at home, the differentiator down the stretch could be road wins if mm-hmm. you know providence can go and and beat uh, you know marquette at marquette if providence can win at butler you know the, those can set the, the friars uh, apart from the rest of the teams around the country when it comes time to uh, the nitty-gritty as they say with that ncaa selection committee right that's what that way if you end up watching some of these games down the stretch run and these teams that are considered bubble teams if they're getting wins on the road that is almost like double good for them right it, it certainly is, and the NCAA uh, committee has gone out of its way to say, obviously, we want you to play it a strong schedule, but where the game is played, obviously, road wins are gold. Well, if you have questions on your favorite team, hey, send them to us. We'll use them right here on the show. Hit us up on Twitter with a hashtag TWITBE, TWITBE. And don't forget to leave a comment if you download the podcast on iTunes. We also have Stitcher and Google Play, part of our podcast partnerships. One of the teams in the mix, as mentioned, is Providence. The Friars were picked for fourth by the coaches in the preseason polls. They slipped from fourth to sixth with a loss at Seton Hall on Wednesday, but they still have time to improve on that standing before the Big East tournament. And right now, however, the Friars are just happy to be healthy. It's as healthy as they've been all season. If they can stay that way, Ed Cooley's team could be a factor. And Coach Cooley joins us next, this week. In the Big East. Coming up this week in the Big East Spotlight. Big East Spotlight. Spins to the left, finds Lindsey, deep three. On the way, good! Lindsey was deep. That was a 30-footer by Lindsey. 
He's been very, very noticeable in the media lately, probably because you might have heard him say one or two things uh, via the microphone on Fox Sports 1. He's also uh, been a personality within the Big East Conference and kind of touting the league's wares and the abilities over the course of the five seasons now that the Big East has been reborn again. Providence head coach Ed Cooley joins us this week in the Big East. Coach, first and foremost, how did you feel the opportunity to wear that live microphone with your game uh, against DePaul a couple of weeks ago on Fox Sports when you and Coach Dave Leto wore the microphone to give fans uh, a chance to kind of see what it was really like to sit on the bench. How do you feel that went for you, number one, and how do you feel it helps the game of basketball? Well, when Steve Shear approached me about it, you know, a couple of months ago, it was a great idea when he was talking about it. The actual content of it and when it actually happened was very challenging. Uh, But at the same time, the reason why I think, speaking for myself, um, it really gives our fans... Our, our families, uh, the average fan, a really in detailed insight to what really happens at halftime, after a game, before a game, during the game, to actually have an inside look in a huddle. And I think it was courageous on both coaches' behalf because it's definitely uncomfortable. You know, it's definitely uncomfortable. You may say some things, I'm not even going to say you regret, but, you know, you have these out-of-body experiences when you're in the heat of the moment. And, uh, you know, when I actually went back and listened to some of it, man, it's it's pretty intense. So uh, glad I did it. I'm glad we gave our fans and, and, our, and, our, and our folks a, a chance to see what it's really like to be inside inside the game. When you were asked about that by Steve Shear in particular, who we've had on this program as well to talk to him a little about it, did you think he was a little crazy or did you kind of understand where they were coming from in an effort to sort of push the envelope? Because, you know, there's so much content out there now and fans and and those who follow basketball not only are craving the information, but they want to be entertained a little by it as well. First of all, I always think Steve's out of his mind with some of his requests. Uh, you know, uh, he's a dear friend. He does a great job for Fox. Uh, he's a veteran in the sport. But um, I thought it was a, it was an honest ask to give the fans what they you know think they may know. And now they're a little bit more educated on the stresses, on listening to your players, on game day uh, adjustments within the game. Um, a lot goes on in that forty minutes that you have to you know that you're on the whole time. So. Uh, I was happy to do it. Uh, will I ever do it again? I don't know. I don't want to say no, but it's definitely a challenge. Did you find yourself holding back at any point in time during the game, or was this honest ed, so to speak, throughout the whole game? Well, I think there was a lot of honesty in it. There's some things that, you know, in all honesty, you forget the microphone's even on. You forget it's on, and all you're trying to do is win the game and encourage your guys and, you know, be in the moment. Um, when you didn't know the microphone was on, what you were thinking you probably couldn't say, so... Uh, a lot happening up there with the microphone attached to you. God bless you guys that do it for a living. Well, i got to ask you one question in particular about something you said during the game. Where did the vampire comment come from? The vampire comment came from Alpha was bleeding, and, you know, it totally got taken out of context, I think. I was like, you know, unless there's a vampire out there biting us, <laughs> I don't know how we can be bleeding without being hit. So, you know, uh, what I was thinking and what I said probably didn't come out the right way, but that's what I was thinking, and I didn't, I didn't even remember I said that until I actually listened to it. Uh, actually, I, I think it got 
I think it got a few laughs, uh, but I think that also goes to your personality. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what a lot of people appreciate you is about the fact that sometimes you can be brutally honest, but you can be brutally honest with a, a sort of a, a wink and a nod to, hey, this is how it really is. This is a tough league, and sometimes we just have to take our medicine and go with it from there. You do. I think you have to be real. I have, think you have to be authentic with your team. There has to be some, I think, to take some pressure off your team, you have to have some comedy every now and then. I think you need a little bit of uh, laughter, and I think laughing kind of breaks down some barriers and it loosens our guys up a little bit. All right, so Coach Ed Cooley joining us here this week in the Big East. Coach, I would be remiss then if we didn't talk. You mentioned Alpha Diallo. We've also had him on this program this year as well, one of your emerging stars. Providence was thought to be a team that was a preseason pick for fourth in the Big East. You had a lot of guys coming back from last year. You had a huge uh, loss at the beginning of the year with Emmett Holt, who is a, a big that can tend to stretch the floor free a little bit and wasn't able to come back and play this year because of an illness. And so it really kind of changed the dynamic of the Providence team from the get-go. How has this team begun now to live up to some of that preseason expectation, not only that you put on yourself, but what maybe fans thought of this uh, this Providence team was capable of? Well, I think the one thing we've adjusted to is our versatility as a team, uh, allowing our different players to play different positions on the floor. We're able to play a lot of different styles, and all we're trying to do is have a win. You know, we're able to play Khalif and Nate in some instances. We're able to play Rodney with Jalen or, or, or Isaiah or Alpha at the four position. Uh, we're able to go small and be effective because we all got guys on the floor that can all pass, catch, dribble, and shoot. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about where we're going over the next 11 games. You know, we had to, you know, get to this point here in league play, non-league play with injuries, but everybody in the country is dealing with that. And uh, hopefully all that's passed us, and we're looking forward to hopefully a, a great stretch in order to try to finish this year out. Well, as we get into the second half of conference play, Coach, I'm going to ask you a sort of a tough question here. Can you describe what the Big East is in one or two words? One or two words, what the Big East is. One word, an animal. Animal. That's two. Animal. Okay, that's one. That's one. That's one. Animal. Uh, very, uh, very strong league, top to bottom. Uh, it's a war every night, and that's league play all around the country. You know, especially if it's a round robin league, which we're very fortunate to have to play each other twice, home and home. I think that's a a great, great way to play league like league play. You know, you don't have an advantage because I got to play you on the road, I got to play you at home, uh, and you don't turn it around. But I'm really excited about the league. I think the coaching stability has been great, and that's given us. Uh, a leg up on a lot of conferences because we haven't had a lot of turnover. And we have older guys in our league. You know, we have some older players in particular. Seton Hall has an older group. Xavier has an older group. We, for the most part, have an older group. Um, you look at DePaul has an older group. You look at Butler has an older group. So uh, the fact that we can keep our best players in our league and we're not a one-and-done league all the time, um, you know, there may be one that sprinkles in here or there. But for the most part, we're going to get – two, three, four-year players who build continuity and keep our league one of the best in the country. You mentioned Seton Hall. Uh, in the preseason poll, there was one coach. Coaches vote for the preseason poll, for those that may not be aware. One coach actually selected Seton Hall to win it all this year in the conference. Uh, everybody else voted for Villanova. You were the one that voted for Seton Hall. Why? 
Well, you look at their team, you know, Delgado's been around. He's one of the premier players in college basketball. Desi Rodriguez continues to improve. Carrington is, you know, a tough matchup. Miles Powell is one of the most improved players in our league. And then you got Sunogo and Nezi who have been around. I mean, they play their role to a T. They're great defensively. They get extra possessions on the offense and defensive glass. You know, they're able to switch four different ways or five different ways. So, you know, they have a lot of I just thought their versatility I think Kevin is one of the best coaches in the country strategically putting his p- players in position to have success. So that's why I chose them. Well, with uh, this kind of time left for this season, would it be a disappointment for the Big East not to get six or seven teams in again into the NCAA tournament? The start uh, of the conversation about March begins right about now. And I know you want to be in the mix. You probably are in the mix right now. But because of the, the standard that the Big East has set for itself over the last couple of years, does the expectation sometimes exceed that? Well, we as coaches are always going to wave the flag for our programs and for our league. And, you know, we, we have some work to do, but I think we have a very good RPI as a, as a, as a staff. I mean, as a, as a whole staff, when I mean the Big East staff, um, we've played some great non-conference games. So six or seven are not out of the question, but I think the SEC, Big 12, Pac-12, Big Ten. There's a lot of great teams out there. You got a lot of the mid-major programs that are playing really well that are vying for positions in the tournament. And again, the committee has to take 68 teams. You know, I think 30 some odd at large. But uh, the Big East is going to be right there when it's all said and done. We're always going to be a factor when the selection committee gets together, just because we play the best teams in the country in the non-conference and then compete like crazy in the conference play. So there'll be six or seven teams right there vying to get back into that tournament. Providence head coach Ed Cooley. Who's hot? Good teams always have great players. And we run down this week's collection of the Big East's best. Next, this week in the Big East. Coming up, who's hot? This week in the Big East. Who's hot? Foster, head fakes a three. Foster now takes the three. And it's gone! Marcus Foster! Five points, bank three-pointer in your eye! His second in a row, Jays by seven. Well, after being ice cold, he's hit back-to-back threes. Welcome back to This Week in the Big East. John Rook with Kevin McNamara. Player of the Week in the Big East Conference this week, Marcus Foster Creighton. Seems like we said that several times. In fact, I know that we have. Foster, 26.7 rebounds, 2.5 assists in a 2-0 week for the Blue Jays. Against Georgetown last Saturday, Kevin, 28 points and 6 boards. Against St. John's, 24 points, 8 boards. So Marcus Foster is a focal point, without a doubt, for the Creighton Blue Jays as they hit the stretch run. Let me put uh, his week into uh, uh, crystallize it for you, John. Three straight 20-point performances. The, f- the last Blue Jay to do that, someone named Doug McDermott. Wow. That's pretty, that's pretty good company. Great company, absolutely. The freshman of the week, Najee Marshall of Xavier. You and I have talked about him a little bit already so far this season, and Najee appears back at the freshman of the week uh, award this week. Ten points, four assists, and a win over Marquette, shooting four of eight from the floor. He's averaging almost eight points, better than three rebounds, and shooting 56% from the floor. So right now Marshall looks like a pretty good bet to be one of those on the uh, all-freshman team. Yeah, and you know what I'm seeing from Xavier, John, is it's clear that Xavier's getting better as the year goes on. Oftentimes some teams can flatline a little bit, and I think that's to do with Xavier's young players, and Marshall is the best of, the, of that lot. Can I take a moment, though, to ask you what other freshmen have kind of stood out to you at this stage of the game in addition to a guy like Najee Marshall? Well, John, if Marquette's going to get going, they really have to rely on, I think, a few of their freshmen. Theo John inside, Greg Elliott outside, one of the better, I think, young 
wing defenders in the league. And then clearly I think the best freshman in the league is Omari Spellman at Villanova. He, he, he's gotten better by the week. I really love his offensive game inside, outside. He's just showing a, an array of skills that make him a star on the rise. All right, as far as the Big East honor roll is concerned this week, some familiar names as always. Keelan Martin of of Butler is there. Eli Kane of DePaul makes the honor roll this week at 27 points and the winning score at Georgetown as the uh, Blue Demons beat the Hoyas 74-73. You know, Eli Kane has actually had a year in which his numbers are down from a year ago, Kevin, but it's because he's being depended upon less, I think, by Dave Lato's team. He's done a very good job, John. And DePaul, DePaul is scary down the stretch. You know, people are going to overlook DePaul because – you know, they have not had a lot of you know wins and loss success in the last several years. They're better. They're better than they've been, and they're ex- especially dangerous at home down the stretch. Miles Powell of Seton Hall is on the honor roll this week. Had a game-high 21 and a win at DePaul. He also hit a couple of big daggers deep from long distance against Providence earlier this week. Jalen Brunson of Villanova, 23 points and a 2-0 ho-hum week for the, uh, the junior guard for the Wildcats. And Trevon Blewett, another ho-hummer from Xavier, 13 points and 10 rebounds five assists and a huge win over Marquette so Blewett and Brunson at the bottom of that list but Blewett and Brunson will probably be at the top when all is said and done don't you think I think I'd be more than confident saying that Blewett Brunson and our player of the week Marcus Foster will be first team all league and there's probably one more first team all league guy who I know you're going to mention uh, later in the show and that's Angel Delgado right. who has had an all-time best career at Seton Hall and he just became the Big East all-time leading rebounder breaking the record of another all-timer in Derek Coleman of Syracuse. You want a prototypical center? You want a guy that has a marketable NBA skill going to get the ball off the backboards? I think Delgado's your guy. Well, the 2018 Big East Men's Basketball Tournament is only weeks away. Angel Delgado and his Seton Hall Pirates will certainly be there in prime position. It's the 36th consecutive year the Big East Men's Basketball Tournament will be played in New York City, March 7th through 10th at the world's most famous arena, the Mecca of College Basketball, Madison Square Garden. You can be there, too, so don't miss your chance to go. It's real easy. Go to Ticketmaster.com slash Big East for tickets and for information. Well, maybe you've heard that transfer rules in college basketball could be changing for next year and beyond. How might these rules affect teams in the Big East and around the country? Plus, we'll get a conference mid-year evaluation form coming from Senior Associate Commissioner Stu Jackson. And he comes up next, this week in the Big East. Coming up next, the Big East Focus. Big East Focus. Brunson, he's ahead of the pack. He'll fly in for the one-handed jam with his left hand, and the Cats lead by nine. Play by the All-American. With the second half of the league season underway, and once again, the Big East is in position to play well into March with more than half of its league membership taking part. Stu Jackson coached in this league. He had an NCAA tournament team in his time at Wisconsin as head coach, spent several years as the NBA's executive vice president for operations for coming back home, so to speak, to the college game and as the Big East's senior associate commissioner. He joins us this week in the Big East. And Stu, you're not terribly surprised to see some of these teams flexing their muscles right about now, are you? No, not at all. I mean, you know, currently here in late January and going into February um, is a really crucial part of the conference schedule. And, you know, with the overall strength of our schedule, we're in a situation where many of our teams are beating up on one another, uh, trying to flex their muscles, trying to, you know, perhaps go on a run, which is very difficult to do because of the number of quality teams throughout the conference. But at the same time, for as fans, 
this is the most fun part uh, because every game seemingly has so much importance on that team's uh, ultimate finish in the conference and you know an NCAA tournament bid. Do you believe at this stage of the game that the Big East is in position to potentially repeat what it did last year with seven bids? Well, certainly that is a possibility. Um, you know, as I look at um, you know our conference right now, I don't think there's any question that a minimum of six teams would receive bids if the NCA met today. But there's a strong possibility that we will get seven teams into the tournament, and it really is dependent upon how you know these games that we just referred to fall out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, last season when we got seven in, we kind of caught lightning in a bottle, John, because, you know, you may recall Xavier, who was a very high RPI a team, had a high ratings performance index, which is a key metric that the NCAA uses. They were high, but then they got injured and lost six games in a row. But when they lost those six games, those teams that beat them, still got credit for a high-quality win, and I think that in part led to getting the seven teams in. Sure. Will we have that same situation this year? Doubtful, but still, you know, seven teams could play their way in if things fall right. Well, it's certainly time to start talking about it. Here we are the first part of February, and a month from now we'll be getting ready for the Big East Tournament. So uh, that kind of speculation is going to begin going around the country. Might as well get out ahead of it, right? Um Second-half rematches, I think, overall, are really what a lot of fans look forward to. I mean, when teams have met already once, a couple of teams have already finished out their series at home-and-home. Home. That's the beauty of the Big East. you got the true round, Robin. We know that you like it. We know that you know uh, Val likes it. We know all the coaches in the league like this setup. But when you come around for the second time again, the intensity ratchet. I mean, it really ratchets up a notch, doesn't it? It truly does, and you know the games become less predictable in my mind because of some of the reasons you mentioned. Aside from the fact, you know, teams have had an opportunity to prepare and scout these teams, you know, in their you know first game and against other teams. So there are no real surprises for either team defensively, and it really makes for I think competitive matchups. And quite frankly, you don't know you know, how those games are going to turn out. And that's what makes it really interesting. I think it's a real advantage of the round robin, as you said, uh, having the opportunity to play a team twice in one season. Well, with that coming around, that, of course, will lead us into the the, the tournament, uh, March 7th through 10th at the Garden. And so I know that uh, probably about now, if you haven't already started, you're really starting to think seriously about the setup and planning and all of the logistical issues that go in. Because there's a tournament before you guys with the Big Ten and so much basketball news that will be going on around Big Apple at that time of the month, any uh, curveballs that you guys need to be aware of this year as you uh, lead into the to the big event? Well, uh, not really as it relates to the Big Ten tournament being there a week before. Um, you know, there's been plenty of time allotted to move them out and then move, you know, our floor and our setup in uh, for that week. I, I do think it's, uh, you know, and also you have to remember the ACC is still going to have their tournament across town in Brooklyn. Correct. So New York is truly going to be for a two-week period uh, the center of college basketball. But, you know, as we go into the tournament, I mean, that preparation for us really starts uh, as early as, like, you know, September, October, where we begin making preparations. And I think it's starting to pay dividends for us. So we, we are expecting, we're hoping that, and pretty confident that we're going to have our most 
well-attended Big East Conference, um, you know, tournament since the reconfigure, reconfiguration of the conference five years ago. Uh, tickets are moving well, and that's something that's really exciting for us because it's yet another signal just at the growth of this conference, uh, you know, after, you know, it was revamped. That's very exciting. Stu Jackson, Senior Associate Commissioner for the Big East Conference, joining us this week in the Big East. Now, Stu, I think a lot of people probably don't realize this, but you are a sounding board for the league's 10 coaches in men's basketball. They, they come to you with, with questions, uh, with comments, with concerns, with criticisms, uh, and then vice versa. You also feed to them some of your thoughts so maybe you can help guide them when they get to a, a problem moment. So I, I wanted to address something briefly with you today, and I know that, that we'll have time to get into this uh, as the, the, the year goes on here, but uh, upcoming in this next uh, summertime, there will be decisions made over the the fate of transfers within college basketball, college athletic programs overall in general. And it may very well be that college basketball players won't have to sit out a year any longer before they could transfer from one school to the next. Now, I'm oversimplifying what is a kind of a sticky situation that really has not yet been decided or even voted upon by the coaches in, in NCAA membership. But I'm, I'm wondering if you can give me a sense of what coaches are thinking, feeling, talking about what they're looking out for when we get this change that's probably going to happen? No, it's a, it's a very good question and a very uh, sensitive issue and a very complex issue nationally, uh, not only in the Big East but for most conferences. And, you know, because you, you get torn on both sides of the issue. It, on one hand, you absolutely want to give student-athletes uh, the freedom to transfer schools. They should be able to do that. I don't think that anyone uh, disputes that, uh, particularly in a day and age where, you know, college coaches can move from one school to another uh, fairly fr- freely and do so frequently. But as a student athlete, um, you know, there's also the freedom to move and transfer, and there's also the competitive issues like recruiting that come into play. And my my view is that most coaches are in favor of maintaining the current rule, which says that you have to have a year in residency at the school you transfer to before you're eligible for competition. Mm-hmm. And coaches feel that way for a number of reasons, but the main reason is is that you know you don't want to get in a situation where schools are starting to poach players. Right. Um, you know, and make, you know, transfers a recruiting pipeline year to year. Um, I, I don't know if anyone or any coach really wants to see that in college basketball. So I don't really, I don't know where this issue eventually falls out. There's a tremendous amount of uh, a debate about it. Uh, there's a special committee uh, uh, on transfers that's been formed for the third time why the third time the first two committees couldn't make a decision on which way to go over the years uh, so hopefully we'll come out of this with some solution but i, I know the coaches I, I at least in our conference are hope hoping that that year residency remains the status quo big east senior associate commissioner Stu jackson our national perspective is next and a longtime college hoops announcer gives us his thoughts on the seton hall pirates the rest of the big east contenders and a bit of a national look as well gary cohen joins us next this week in the big east coming up next the national perspective 
National Perspective. Left side, Rodriguez takes the three. It is good. Desi Rodriguez has 30. A new career high for Desi Rodriguez. Welcome back to This Week in the Big East. I hesitate to call him old, but only because he's been around the Big East at least as long as I have, and he's seen as much basketball, if not a little more, than I have. Seton Hall voice Gary Cohen Jones says this week in the Big East, and, and I ask you, Gary, simply because I know you've been around kicking around this league for better part of the last three decades, so you were around when Derek Coleman did his thing at Syracuse, and you saw him do his thing at Syracuse, and the record that the Pirates' Angel Delgado broke this week, that's kind of significant, because it it hasn't no one has really come close to that in a long time. No, they really haven't. Michael Smith, you know, still has the highest average rebounds per game right. in Big East history, although Delgado has a chance to break that. But um, this kid is he's got that that Rodman like ability, um, and he had it from the day he arrived on campus. Now, he's become a much better player in a lot of different areas. He's become a terrific passer, his offensive game has improved, even his defense has gotten better. But the knack for being in the right spot for using his body to create space, for uh, tapping rebounds to himself. Um, and, and the guy can't jump more than you know, 10 inches off the floor. <laughs> he, but he has that knack. And um, I, I think it was kind of inevitable that he was going to eventually break this record. And he did it with 10 games to go, so with plenty of room to spare. But um, he is, he's been a joy to watch. He really has. He's, he's got, got a great personality. Um, he's been a tremendous asset for Seton Hall and for the league. How do you think his improvement has gone along? Because, you know, last year he led the nation in rebounding. This year he's number two in the nation in rebounding. So certainly he's competing still at a high level. But when you saw him first at Seton Hall, did you think he could turn out to be this kind of a player? Well, when he first started, he was very foul-prone, so it was hard for him to stay on the court. And he was also very emotional. I mean, he's an emotional guy, but he had trouble um, reining those emotions in. So every call against him became a tirade at himself or at the referee or Mm -hmm. at the world in general. Um, and little by little, he got better his sophomore year. And by last year, when he was uh, thrust into more of a leadership role, I think that was the big turning point for him. Um, he was able to keep his focus on the floor, stay on the floor and stay out of foul trouble, and expand his game um, to become the player he's become today. Gary Cohen again, voice of the Seton Hall Pirates, with us this week in the Big East. You'll also hear him on the NCAA tournament game calls for Westwood One Radio. Uh, Gary, the Pirates were a team that were very, very highly thought of before this season started. Ed Cooley, in fact, is the one coach that actually selected Seton Hall to potentially win the league this year. So where has this team, where has this season kind of left itself at least at this stage of the game with about half of the conference schedule still to go you know when they've played well and that's been most of the time they've been a, a very fun team to watch I mean it's a team that starts four seniors but it, it's it's a, a very emotional team and, and that works for them when they're playing well and sometimes it can work against them a, as well um, they've really only played one bad game this year and that was the last eight minutes at Rutgers Uh, which is by far their worst loss of the season. Um, They had a couple of lopsided road losses in the Big East at Creighton and Marquette and a home loss to Xavier. But um, really, the the other games that they've lost have have been the ones that you would expect them to. The Rutgers one is the one that sticks in their craw. Um, But they bounced back from a week off and played a great road game at DePaul last week, and I think that um, they're... 
they're a, a team that traditionally under Kevin Willard has gotten better in February, and mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see if they can do that again. I know that uh, fans, as we all know, can be ultra-critical. Has this team failed to achieve what it should have by this stage? Well, I, I think that the proof is going to be in March. This is a, a program that had been in the wilderness for a while and then made the NCAA tournament each of the last two years only to go out in the first round yeah. to Gonzaga two years ago, which was not unexpected, and then to Arkansas last year, which was really um, very disappointing. Um, this team will be judged by how far they get in the tournament. If they can win a game or two, uh, I think they will have achieved what they were expected to. Are you at all surprised, Gary, about uh, the way that uh, Big East continues to be um, you know, set by the pace of uh, what Villanova has done, especially over the last couple of years? It's been amazing that they've been able to absorb the losses that they've had um, in terms of personnel. But Jay Wright has created an an incredible culture there, and he he doesn't have any weak links on the floor. You know, right now he's basically got a seven-man rotation, but those seven guys are all really Mm -hmm. good, and um, they just don't beat themselves. Uh, They can beat you in a lot of ways. They're a three-point um, uh, intensive team, but now they have more of an inside presence with a guy like Omari Spellman. And um, I just look at how guys develop there, how much better Jalen Brunson has gotten, how much better Mikael Bridges has gotten. Um, and you know that, that, that that's the kind of elite program that sustains itself. Well, because you do uh, work the NCAA tournament for Westwood One, I'm curious to know what your at least overall point of view is for uh, competition uh, against the Big East as the league tries to put up another six or seven teams into the tournament for next year. What have you seen? What have you observed? Who are some of the teams that you like watching? Um, You know, I I try to watch as diverse a group of teams as possible. I don't think there is any, you know, monster team this year. I, I think it gives a lot of opportunity to, to really anybody in the top 20 or 25 to make a run to the Elite Eight or even the Final Four. Um, you know, Duke is an incredibly talented team if, if they can uh, keep their act together. Uh, Virginia just plays yeah. a- out of their mind defense. It may be the best defensive team that, that Tony Bennett's had, which is remarkable considering what they've accomplished the last few years. But um, to me, Villanova offensively is as good as anybody – in the game right now, um, and if they can play enough defense and have enough inside presence and um, stay out of foul trouble in March, uh, they're going to be hard to beat. Gary, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you also about you know the conference tournament coming up again, and uh, you know 39 years is a pretty long time to be doing something at a very high level. And even though the Big East, as we've talked about many many times before, has sort of remade itself over the last four now five years at all, does it really? sink in at all uh, for someone that's been around as, as long as you have. That's a nice way of calling you old. Uh, but does it sink in at all that this team seems to continue to remake itself at such a high level? I think it's fantastic. I, I actually enjoy the league right now more than I did in the 16-team configuration. Mm-hmm. I, I think you had, you had levels in that league, right? You had, you had schools like UConn and Syracuse and Pittsburgh and Louisville that just had resources that were different from the, the smaller basketball-only schools. I think everybody in this league right now, all 10 teams, and that includes DePaul, which obviously has n- never gotten over the hump since they've been in the league, but everybody has pretty much the same resources, and it, it's made for spectacular competition. Um, and it's, it, it's really a credit to the way the league has um, done its television deal 
and the way that this particular group of coaches has sold the league that so many good players are still coming in. Um, and I think that while you're not getting the Kentucky and Duke one-and-done type players, I think you're getting the next level of kid, kids who are staying for the most part for four years and are being coached up. Um, it's been fun to watch. Uh, this league right now is such an incredible um, animal on a night-by-night basis. And I don't know if they're going to get seven like they did last year, but I think six is certainly a reasonable number to expect. Seton Hall's voice, Gary Cohen, who's got next big games, big-time matchups, which happen, well, just about every night. We'll fill you in on the details coming up next. This week in the Big East. Coming up, who's got next? This week in the Big East, who's got next? Jace must have a bucket here. Hand off Foster and fakes a three. Foster up the lane line. Foster hands off Martine, who lays it up and in. Marcus Foster driving to the baseline. Dishes to crumple. It's a five-point game. John Rook, Kevin McNamara this week in the Big East. Coming up this weekend, who's got next? How about Providence at Marquette to start things off on Saturday, Kevin? This could be a survival game between both sides. And for the Friars, it's all ultra-important to try to get one on the road because they lost in overtime at home to the Golden Eagles. These are the two teams who I think were clearly on the fence. And, you know, I think if the NCAA committee had to pick right now, I think both would probably be out. So this is a differentiated game between the two, and it's probably more important for Marquette because they're on a three-game losing streak, John, right now. And and facing after, you know, the Providence game, then they go to Seton Hall. So it's really a tough stretch for the Golden Eagles. Here's a marquee game for you. Duke playing at Madison Square Garden this weekend against St. John's. I, I heard Chris Mack early in the show. He talked a little about how St. John's is the best 0-11 team in conference play he has ever seen in his career. Is it a good enough team to give Duke a battle? Well, you would you'd quickly say no because Duke's as loaded uh, talent-wise as anybody in, in the country. But when St. John's gets in the garden, uh, it'll be a, probably the largest crowd of the year for them in the garden because Duke obviously brings an awful lot of followers. Uh, I expect a close game, and uh, I do. I agree with Chris Mack. St. John's is not a bad team. Uh, they're very dangerous, especially if Shamari Pons gets hot. Seton Hall, uh, off a win over Providence at home, they get to go out on the road, and they get their chance at number 1 Villanova on Sunday. Can, can their size, can their strength, can their senior leadership, can they hang with the Wildcats? I think they can, John. Uh, I, I, I was very impressed with the way Seton Hall played against Providence in protecting its home court on Wednesday night. And, you know, obviously we know about the senior leadership and the senior toughness of Seton Hall, and those are two things that you definitely need when you go into Villanova. All right, let me throw a couple more at you that I think will certainly have potential postseason ramifications. Xavier plays at Butler on Tuesday. Marquette plays at Seton Hall on Wednesday. Now, that could be a survival game for Butler in particular, so holding the home floor there, but Marquette really might need to get a road win. Marquette's going to be, you know, Back to the wall, especially if they they happen to drop the ball at home against Providence. But but the Xavier Butler game intrigues me an awful lot, and really more for the Musketeers. I, I think Xavier's rounding in his shape. You know, have won four in a row. Uh, you know, coming down the stretch here, five in a row, coming down the stretch, and uh, to win at Hinkle will be big time. All right, we've got a Twitter question this week. Hashtag TWITBE, TWITBE. It comes from at PCBB, who says, is winning on the road is tough to take in the Big East, an overplayed or overstated take. The last seven days of January saw road teams go 5-4 and four in league action. What do you think, Kev? 
I think that's just a snapshot. Yes, winning on the road in any league, not not just the Big East. Any league you have, it's the college basketball on the road is one of the toughest places, you know, one of the toughest sports to win in uh, for a lot of reasons. And obviously the home crowds that you see in the Big East can be big time. Uh, look at Providence. I think Providence, you know, came into this stretch uh, that they're currently on playing pretty well. They have to go to the number one team in the country and lose by 20. They go to Seton Hall, and we just talked about Seton Hall, how poised and dangerous they are at home. They get knocked around, and now they go to Marquette. I mean, you can lose three in a row really easily in a league like the Big East. Don't forget, you can send us your questions. Hashtag TwitBee right here. We'll use them on the show. And if you're looking for more Big East Hoop news, you make sure that you turn in each week live with Big East Shootaround. It's available on the Big East Facebook page, at Big East on Twitter, and the Fox Sports Go app. Shootaround has coaches and player interviews from around the league every week. So send your questions. You can send those hot takes, too, through social media using that hashtag, BE Shootaround, so you can be featured on the show. Well, our thanks to Providence's Ed Cooley, Big East Senior Associate Commissioner Stu Jackson, and Seton Hall and Westwood One's Gary Cohen for joining us today. And thanks also go out to the flagship stations at Villanova, Providence, and St. John's for their assistance in providing some of the sound that brings us all closer to the big moments in these games. Our thanks to producer Kevin Collins. Thanks also to Kevin McNamara, who's uh, holding down the fort at Super Bowl 52. Kev, we'll see you back in studio next week. I thank you, John. You, you put in extra hustle this week. I much appreciate it. <laughs> well, if you like what you hear, make sure you let us know. Leave us a review on iTunes or hit us up on Twitter and retweet us. I'm at JR Broadcaster, and he's Kevin at Kevin McNamara 33. We'll be back same time next week, this week in the Big East. Thanks for listening to This Week in the Big East. Special thanks to our member schools, Butler, Creighton, DePaul, Georgetown, Marquette, Providence, St. John's, Seton Hall, Villanova, and Xavier, as well as their athletic departments. This Week in the Big East is produced by Kevin Collins. The executive producers are John Paquette and Rick Gentile. Be sure to join us next week for the latest edition of This Week in the Big East.